really all the talks we've had into this practice that we are doing, this precious meditation practice. And specifically, how the meditation practice works organically, almost on us, in terms of not doing, not doing. Now let's clearly define not doing. I don't mean apathy or lethargy. I don't mean um, being sort of frozen and unable to do. I mean that there's a deep growing and um, a deep abiding faith and the fact that there is very little we need to do in terms of the energetic worry of our mind, in terms of our um, reactivity and impulse to control and influence, in terms of our um, entrenched feelings that if we don't somehow psychically um, uh, influence something that things won't turn out all right on their own. It's a fact where we sometimes feel that if we don't worry that somehow the, the, the exercise, the internal holding of worry has some effect externally on how this thing will result. And it probably does, but it's probably not positive. <laughs> and just that reflex to think that if we're not in control, it won't be done as well as it would if we had been in control. And the, te- the teaching of the sitting practice, the teaching of Buddhism, really is a growing evolution away from that sense and need to control. It's called faith. Now, we've been talking a lot in the last weeks about faith. And so I want to show how the sitting practice itself and the instructions associated with it lead into that sense of faith. That's, and for those of you who are just coming here and have missed the talk on faith, <laughs> that word, uh, you've, you probably are on your way out when you hear that word because it, it has a kind of a compulsion quality to it. And so let me free it up from that and say this is not the um, conservative view of faith, but rather it's just an abiding sense that life is bigger than what we are and that the forces that operate through life are bigger than the self-asserted, self-assertion that we seem to um, move with and that something happens and continues to make things happen beyond our influence and that this is happening through us despite our egoic sense of having the will and control over many things, that this abiding sense of, of an organic, universal organic movement of life um, is part, we're part of that. And that sometimes we can just relax and release ourselves into the flow and the movement of that, which in some traditions harm, harmony and um, ease, letting be, So, this talk is a way to show us that the practice that we actually do, the sitting practice, 
prepares us and begins the journey of non-doing. And you can substitute the word non-doing for the word faith. So if you have questions, it will be a t- some time at the end because I want to make sure that people understand all the different words we're using. You know, if you just look at your life, look at our lives, the sense to accomplish, I mean, we are born into a culture uh, and we are born under the influences that of self-betterment, improvement, accomplishment, productivity. You know, the products of our life are really how we gauge and evaluate it. And that's such a deep conditioning that internally we operate by the same principles and strategies therein. And so if we don't like something externally, we will force our will upon it, alter it, and try to correct it. Internally, we do the same thing. We are constantly operating those that set of will internally. And so many of us haven't learned how to just rest and put down our worry. We don't trust that things will turn out well if we did. But we also don't see that the very influence and a need to control disconnects us from life. For that can only happen. Our will can only exert itself upon something from a sense of disconnected, not from a sense of real connection, not from a sense of harmony and ease with something, but rather as an attempt to try to change or alter this situation into something that I feel is much better. When we do that, when we exert our will, there's no sense of interconnection. There's no sense of relationship. We want to get over it. We're not interested in relating to it at all. Now, I'm not just talking about externally. I'm also talking about internally. Moods, thoughts, our internal world of ideas, attitudes, associations. And yet the whole world of Dharma is based, if it's based on any word, it's based on that sense of interconnectedness of establishing a relationship not of thought but of experientially an experiential relationship. For we see that how can anything be known truthfully? How can anything be known if we see it as an obstruction or a hindrance or something that needs correction? And it's interesting because our workplace is full of that strategy that the qualities that are developed in the workplace aren't necessarily the qualities that we strive most for in our spiritual heart, are they? Like sensitivity of heart or empathy, openness, kindness, compassion, authenticity. 
doesn't it when's it dawn on us that the reason these qualities are not accessible is because of the ways we employ our minds every moment to keep these things from being accessible it's not as if and this is a hard learning for many people early in their spiritual journey it's not as if we have to set forth to accomplish cultivate and bring forth these spiritual qualities we just have to release ourselves from the hardness of heart which has kept them at bay those qualities are inherent in us as human beings so how does the practice how does the practice engender and still that sense of non-doing and I hope that this talk tonight motivates you to sit more because that's its intent so the first aspect of it and the first training and one when I lay out the instruction to beginning students I say base your practice in relaxation relaxation now this the stage is set for non-doing through that word relaxation so be careful that when you sit you base your practice in relaxation if we want it listen listen for how the means of what we do ultimately are the ends that we seek so if in the whole of spiritual practice comes through that word of non-doing non-doing so relaxation is really the first word out of our mouths so when you sit when you begin to just form the posture that should be the first place you go the ease ease of relaxation receptivity relaxation holds that ability to receive we're not blocking we're just relaxing we're letting it's like a sponge soaking in just okay just opening the pores of the body like you're at a spa I interesting we last year's teen course and just to remind people that our new teen course starts tomorrow at Keystone from six thirty to eight. If you have if you want to know where your children are at six thirty. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the teens last year said maybe on the third or second or third session, and we had been stressing relaxation she said her house was in the usual anxiety filled frenetic pace that it carries and she was sitting on the couch and she saw her history of and tendency to uh, just get caught up in it and she says no no I have a choice here 
I have a choice here. Now we're talking about a 15, 16 year old person with parents <laughs> probably who sit here and she said, no, I have a choice here. And she made the choice to relax. Now, the reason is that she only has 15 years of conditioning. <laughs> we have probably more problem than that. But the tendency certainly isn't to relax with a situation. I got caught up in it tonight. Somebody came in and just said, your car's been sideswiped. Just out here. So what, it's done. It's not, I mean, if I had to, you know, steer it away, but I couldn't. It's been done. So was there any place for relaxation? Of course there was, but could I carry it through? No. <laughs> So we all get caught up in it. It's not to set a standard for deeper misery in ourselves because we can't relax sufficiently. But let us at least have the intention to start bringing it forth and, and let the spirit of the practice move us from that deep sense of abiding, relaxing, I mean, it's easy, of course, when you sit and nothing's going on. It's much more difficult when you're in activity, but we'll get to that in the talk. But that sense of learning to pause, learning to build in a refrain, which is in the Buddha's language, refrain from, pause, pause, which uncouples the immediate knee-jerk reaction of reactivity. And hurrying, by definition, blocks ease, ease and receptivity. We're, very, we're not really interested in being receptive when we're in a hurry. We're not very interested in listening. We're not very interested in receiving the world at all. In fact, we're passing through. And everyone feels the effect of that. Ease and receptivity, relaxation. When we really abide with that word, time begins to have less influence on us. And this is a key issue in meditation and in your spiritual growth. That time simply has plays less of an internal role. It doesn't mean that the clock doesn't continue to turn. It does, of course. But the way we hold the internal time doesn't press us in the same way. For we see it as being fostered fostered by moving out of this frame of reference into what my expectations are for the next one. And when we finally see that, as the poem said, what are you going to do? Wait for a better thought? Is there anything that's ever going to be better than now? Maybe now without a 
car having swiped my no now with that okay so we start with then focusing our practice on relaxing with the breath relaxing with the breath and that has the um, effect on us of opening us up gentleness of being I love this softness of mind and gentleness of being you know that when you've been able to hold yourself with the breath in a relaxed way and you just find that refined quality of the breath without any sense of impatience or disturbance with it without any looking at your watch to see how much longer you have to sit that just that simple rest that comes from relating to the breath there comes into your whole body a sense of softness of being a softness of mind and gentleness of being gentleness of being and contrary the hardness of heart prohibits the very access of insight insight is not accessible when when there's tension when there's hardness ambition there's no fluidity and hardness we're not available in hardness so that training of sustaining our attention upon the breath allows for that fluidity softness and gentleness of being gentleness of being is really another word for sensitivity of being where our awareness is not just caught in our own self-concern but begins to migrate out to touch the fabric of life internally and externally so you actually have time to listen to stop and hear and then the instructions begin to continue to unfold that when you have or find yourself getting caught up in thought before you return back to the breath first go through that sense of relaxation and the reason we do that is to dispel the attitude that may be following us back to the breath which is often a negative self attitude about having been unable to follow the breath and that can hook a whole sense of self inadequacy and unworthiness and all of that and we can come back with the breath with that tightness and tension of that attitude so I think it's very important and an extraordinarily important step to first dispel everything by saying okay just back to the sense of physical relaxation then the pendulum doesn't swing across zero it goes back to zero we dissipate whatever it is that we're holding and we come back to an even keel relationship with our breath once more 
and then we can allow softness to come back in. Softness is not, again, something we have to cultivate. It's something that is there when there isn't hardness. Gentleness is there when you have the ability to listen. It's not... We, we get so caught up in thinking that we have to... How do we get that? We make it another project for ourselves. And then with that hardness of how do we get it, it stays very aloof and distant from us. We get it by being willing to follow the instruction, really. By being willing to relax and feel the effect of relaxation on our being. To feel what it feels like not to carry tension. To see what happens to our consciousness when we aren't so self-absorbed. It moves out. And then comes, these are natural qualities that are nurtured, that are becoming, become a part of the practice as we soften. One is patience. We have more willingness. See how these, see how it grows? So we have just more willingness to deal with the infractions of thought. More willingness to relax with our sense of, of, of self-dislike and all of the perturbing mind qualities that come forever walking through our head, we have just patience with it. It just develops from that softness of being, from that allowance of spirit, from that ease of well-being. And the effect of patience is kindness. Kindness isn't a project. Kindness is seeing from that sense and state of, of sensitivity. And then we also let those so are marching you through the instructions again of the sitting practice and hopefully all of us practice this daily. When we let go of the doing of thought and return to the non-doing of receiving our experience. Letting everything be. We're making a statement of faith in our willingness to release ourselves from the figuring out attitude of mind, the planning attitude of mind, to the of just letting it be, letting it be. And slowly faith grows from the affirmation, from seeing that life continues without your struggle. Your life continues without your struggle. To let everything be. See, when we don't do, 
when we actually receive something, receptive, when we receive something, we're touching something that is not self-created. That we have not influenced. That is not of our making. Mostly we just touch things of our making. We think internally it's all of our making. And externally our lives are full of what we've made it to be. The West is a hard nut to crack in that way. It really believes in its intellectual muscle. But when we're willing to give up thought, which is the intellectual muscle, and come back to just the harmony that is inherent in this, in the relaxation of the moment, then we are touching new possibilities, new landscapes. And we are realizing that this landscape is happening to us rather than we're happening to it. We touch the ground. We may even touch stillness. That's ultimate non-doing. And the ultimate abiding in faith How do we think we're going to get to that? Running faster, trying harder? By not doing. The practice should be working its way back to zero. We should be learning over the years and months of our practice to release not to exert to receive not to assert the second way this is all that was all the first way <laughs> the second way that the practice works through the instructions it says sustain your attention upon the object upon whatever object and see it clearly now what we immediately say is that the mind doesn't want to be quiet it doesn't want to see something clearly it doesn't have any control over seeing something clearly it only has control when it can create an opinion about something then it has its its mind around it. That's what opinion is. It's wrapping your mind around it and making it extremely clear in the knowing of it through your opinions. Not in the seeing of it, which is its real truth, but in your understanding, your intellectual understanding of it. That freezes your relationship to it to be just what you've known it to be. And so you look at something and see your own mind, really. Look around and see what you don't know. There isn't much that you don't, you haven't assigned. Now, 
Not doing, on the other hand, seeing something clearly and not adding anything to it, allows it to be just what it is. And that is, in Buddhism, in, in Thai, they call it kaujai, entering the heart. That's in this country. The word that comes closest to that is understanding. It's not a very good word because we immediately go up here with that word, but it's entering the heart. It's the um, psychic resonance of inward being with what is seen. And And then it reveals its harmlessness no matter what. It'll never reveal its harmlessness as long as we are meeting it with our fear, which is our projection, our stamp. But when we see something without fear, because it's only our projection that has held something fast and determined to be unacceptable, not the thing itself, So when we release the tension of that, it reveals its harmlessness through its understanding. So being with just one thing allows us to become known to us. Not known intellectually, but known in its safety. In its and then we can relax even deeper and become intimate with it. Become intimate. You see, the kids, as we relax even deeper with things and they're no longer harmful but harmless, they come closer because it's only been a psychic distance of fear that has kept this thing outside. When that fear is released, it comes closer. It it becomes the intimacy of, of the worlds we live in. That's how, how do you think we get out of ourselves so that there is oneness in things? We don't do some kind of gymnastic jump. We simply release the tension we've held the world to be and it comes naturally into its abiding of oneness. This is what we're doing when we practice the meditation. And the way that is felt internally is when something isn't, doesn't have a charge to it. It's not radioactive in our mind. There's space. Because the lack of space is impulsiveness. So when we release ourselves from impulsiveness through relaxation and ease and receptivity and non-doing, what remains is a sense of space, of consciousness, of dwelling with. That consciousness, space is not a vacuous, but filled. It's a full space of consciousness, a a fullness. It's not a pulling back. It's not you are even more distant now. It's the sense of being relieved from tension. It's tension that's kept the relationship so 
fraught with anger and struggle. And we begin to ask ourselves very naturally from the practice as this develops. See, what, if, what part of this is mind? What, it, what am I bringing to this? We hold ourselves accountable. We see how the mind struggles with everything. And that, okay, now what? We have a pain in the knee. Oh, what part of this pain is mind? is reactivity, is fear. We see it, like I see you. Oh, I see that. Okay, so I don't, I don't need to do that anymore. And we see that the whole sense of separation has been developed from the relationship with the object not the object itself. The object itself is neutral. All objects are neutral. And it's not with me. But in the relationship. So the relationship becomes an acute and important part of the meditation. How am I relating to this object in this moment? And as we begin to see even deeper into that spacious relaxation, every judgment that comes up is an attempt to re-engage our relationship of mind with it so that things cannot have faith but have a determined quality and struggle associated with them, which is what our mind will continually do. So when we talk about non-judgmental acceptance you can see that the basis for seeing has to be non-judgmental and when there's non-judgmental acceptance there's trust which again is faith And when there's faith, there's serendipity. I spoke about that at the, uh, at the retreat. And I want to read something I read then. And I think it's... Uh, just bear with me here if I could. This morning I was reading Phil Cousineau's wonderful book, The Art of Pilgrimage. It is the story of Joseph Campbell giving advice to a young woman before she embarks on a, on a pilgrimage to Greece. He had, just given us talk, he had just given a talk to a small audience on the nature of the goddess. From the book, she had made precise calculations of the best time to visit every major cultural attraction and just where and when she would make her salutations to the different deities whose statues remained. Do you think this is sufficient? The woman asked Joseph. Do you think I will find the spirit of the goddess? Joe had been staring at her while a parade of mixed emotions played over his features. Now he took her, took her one free hand in his and with great kindness and solemnity, Joe said, Dear lady, I sincerely hope that all does not go as planned. <laughs> with that, he slipped 
into his overcoat and we left the building. Sitting in the backseat of the car on the drive home, I could barely contain my curiosity. Finally, mustering all the courage of my 17 years, I leaned over the front seat and said, Mr. Campbell, that woman who was planning to go to Greece, why did you tell her that you hoped things did not go as planned? Joe paused as if trying to sort through all the encounters of the evening and then threw his head back and laughed with a mystic's glee. How will the gods ever find her when she has done everything in her power to make sure they never will? Then very soberly he said, Unless you leave room for serendipity, how can the divine enter? The beginning of the adventure of finding yourself is to lose your way. Do you see what control does? It plays the game according to our stakes. And we will then march through our life right to our death, having played the game with only my self-intentions. And yet when we can cast out into the real adventure, which is happenstance, which is circumstantial, we allow the mystery to enter our life and actually influence it. This is what happens in sitting meditation. We don't know what's going to occur. Even though you've sat for years and seen your mind over and over again, we don't know what's going to occur. If you do, then that is not the meditation we are seeking. The meditation practice that we are seeking is I don't know. So then the final instructions of the practice is choiceless awareness. And you can see that each phrase or frame, the way we reframe or frame the practice takes us to more takes us to less doing and more non-doing. The final choiceless awareness in Zen Shikantaza, just sitting, not trying to influence, change, alter, control, block, thwart, pretend, imagine, To make ourselves the size of a pea in terms of our influence. And just let the whole magic of mental phenomena past and parade itself through. Complete relaxation without perturbance or judgment. but with the abiding sense of consciousness having its own nature, having its own movement, having its own life outside of the fictitious life that we try to lead through it. Just letting it take hold on its own backing away 
blowing out the flame doesn't create darkness. Blowing out the flame brings the whole of the ceiling's lights on us. It lights the room up completely. And then we have to get up. Which in retreat lingo means we have to do walking meditation. How do we carry that into our walking? We have to find a way. It doesn't mean, you see, non-doing doesn't mean that there's not movement. In Zen it says, find the non-doing in the doing. Find the non-doing in the doing. And that's where your homework tonight, seek first to understand before being understood. It is an intimation of how to go and begin to build that receptivity into our life and activity because it's not going to happen on its own just because you would like it to be. And if you wait for the trickle down of your sitting practice to melt into your work life, you probably have an awful long wait. It needs your participation, listen to the words though, but not your influence. It needs your view and your willingness to go there, essentially. And this practice your little slip tonight, your homework, of first trying to understand before being understood will set the course for those events of non-doing to fall into place. Those non-events of non-doing. So that life is just unfolding. You're not trying to exert or... So you walk into a room and instead of being argumentative when you don't have any clear idea of what has been happening at all, seek first to understand when you're in an argument and you want your side to be set first seek to hear rather than to tell and all along the way that becomes more and more subtle in the way we label and opinionate and contaminate the innocence of the world before we take the innocence in, before we actually receive the innocence. We're already telling the innocence that it can't be lived, I can't, you know, all that. Get your act together, get... This is the heart in action. The heart in action. And I could have talked a, a lot about listening or learning there are any number of words that give you the right psychic posture for understanding use one of them that works for you but let's not just continue to harden thinking that the willful exchange and reactivity is going to take us anywhere except into more turmoil 
in conflict. It just isn't. That's adharmic. It's not going to heal anything, especially you. Lead with your understanding. And so that's why we sit. That's why we sit. That's why we do this hard work. To allow ourselves to come out, to allow ourselves our potential to be met, to allow ourselves to grow beyond the cultural way that we have learned to grow. To get out of our box. And so each time we choose to spend the 45 minutes a day sitting, we have chosen and reinforced our spiritual direction of receptivity and learning and non-doing. And every time our mind interferes with that and says, that's just trivial stuff, I've got other things much more important to do, and we obey that, then we have lost that connection. Is the connection with you now? If there's a problem, it's not. Thank you. Can we sit for a minute or two? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.